Hello, and welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm Amy, and I'm here with Brad. Hello. And today we're talking about a very sober topic, maybe even a bit of a controversial one. Brad, can you share with us a little more about today's discussion? One of the great dilemmas that arise when we think about the good news going to the nations is the issue of what happens to those who have never had a chance to hear the good news about Jesus. It isn't that they've heard about him and rejected him. They simply have never had an opportunity to hear and respond. So, you know, a lot of people wonder what happens to these people when they die. That certainly is a very intense topic. So help us understand why is it important to get to the bottom of this issue? I mean, this can often become one of those theological debates that goes round and round in circles. Why can't we just leave this issue in the realm of mystery? We might be tempted to leave this in the disputable matters category and not open up a can of worms here, but this issue has massive implications for missions efforts. So I think it's so important for Christians to gain greater clarity on this issue. I see. That that makes a lot of sense. But in this interconnected world, really, how big of an issue is this? You'd think with the internet and smartphones, surely everyone would have heard the gospel in some way. Sadly, despite how connected the world is, Amy, there are still so many people who have not heard. In fact, I read one report recently that estimated at least 2 billion people fall into this category. So this is by no means a small issue. That number is staggering to me. When I try to imagine that many people, uh, that's in between six and six and a half times the population of the United States, just to give a reference point for how many people make up two billion. And hearing that makes me wonder, how could so many stand condemned without ever even having a chance to hear the good news? That seems unthinkable. I agree that the issue is overwhelming and can evoke a great deal of emotion. I mean, it does for me just thinking about it. So I think we're going to need to hold firmly to God's word as we try to figure this out so we aren't led astray by what feels right or even our own limited sense of justice. Good. So where in the Bible do we begin? I think Romans provides maybe the most succinct teaching on this subject. So why don't we start here? Fair enough. I'll read from you, or I'll read from Romans 1, 18 through 20 here. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse." As Romans 1, 18 through 20. And what we see here is that God has given all people general revelation of himself. That is, he's revealed himself and his important qualities about himself through what he's created. But despite this, all humans are in a state of suppressing this truth, it says. Another way to say this is that everyone is in a state of rebellion towards God. That is, that's true of Americans just as much as it's true of unreached peoples. And these verses say that as a result, we are without excuse. You know, so often this topic we're, we're discussing is presented as, what about the innocent person who doesn't know any better and never has a chance to accept or reject Jesus? Well, according to this passage, that's built on a false assumption that there are innocent people out there who don't know any better. Right. On the contrary, the scriptures teach us that all people are in a state of willful rebellion, choosing to suppress truth about God. 
Later in Romans 3, Paul quotes the Psalms and says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. So there are no innocent victims in this process. That's important to understand. Yeah. So what are the implications of this truth? Well, the implication is that because all people, whether they've heard the gospel or not, stand condemned before God. It isn't because they've rejected Jesus that people stand condemned. It's because they've chosen sin and rebellion. And this is true of everyone. Paul writes later in in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. That is the consequences of sin is that we all have, spiritually speaking, we're all dead outside of Christ. And that separation from God eternally is, is the consequence of that. So to put what you're saying another way, regardless of whether someone has heard the good news, God is right and just to hold them accountable for their sins. Yes. And we say this all, all the time in the church, right? We say that we didn't earn our salvation and we, that we deserve condemnation, but God, by his grace, saved us. If somehow it were possible to deserve to be saved or to earn salvation by good works, then yes, of course, we might be able to claim that God is being unjust in this case, but that simply isn't true. Now, Brad, but I wonder if some of our listeners are thinking, why are you focusing so much on all this condemnation and death? What about grace and mercy? God is extremely gracious and merciful in how he treats all people. That's why we call it the good news and why we have to share it with others. Because God has provided a solution to the problem we've just been discussing and salvation from our sins through faith in Jesus. Paul goes on to finish Romans 6.23 by stating, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So everyone who puts their faith in Christ is made right with God and no longer stands condemned before God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we have to understand the problem humanity has before we can understand and appreciate the solution to this. Absolutely. I've had friends and I've known those who have argued that, isn't it possible that this isn't the only way to receive this forgiveness and grace from God? The thinking being that if someone was sincere and did the best they could with whatever understanding they had, like the unreached people that we've been talking about, couldn't God find a way to forgive them? I think there's a part of all of us that would like to believe this, this kind of inclusive teaching. It's it's very enticing, partly because it's such a popular idea in our culture, and and none of us wants to be branded as, you know, narrow-minded and judgmental, and maybe partly because we might feel like it should be true. But, But again, let's hold closely to the scriptures on this. I think if we do examine the scriptures, the idea that there's somehow another way, it just isn't there. Uh, I'll point to two scriptures here. First, Jesus' own words in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Second, Acts four twelve: salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's hard to read verses like this and see this any other way. Without Jesus, we cannot be saved. Those verses really do seem to speak clearly on the subject. But is there still an issue of fairness and justice that hasn't been resolved here? You and I live in a place where we have had the chance to hear the good news, but the people we're talking about didn't even have a chance to hear. If we think about it, God has provided a way to be forgiven and made right with him. Out of his love and compassion and mercy, he gave everything to provide this way, sacrificing his one and only son. And then he gave a task to his church. 
Not only has he clearly commanded the church to take this message of salvation to all people, he promised to be with us to the very end of the age, Matthew 28, 20. And also he's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us in the task. Acts 1, 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we've been clear, we've clearly been given the, what the task is, and we've also been given the tools to fulfill the task. So if there's an issue of injustice involved here, it isn't that God is unjust in condemning people for their willful rebellion against him. It would be if the church who has the words of life that can bring salvation for those who accept it sits back and does nothing. That would be the real injustice. Again, that's very sobering. And I think many of us are moved by this great need, but sometimes the task seems so big. We're talking about two billion plus people out there. So what hope, or can we have hope, as we look to how to think about such a sad reality? Well, a story in the Bible that gives me great hope is that of Cornelius in Acts 10. Here we have a Roman officer who is seeking God, but obviously doesn't know anything about Jesus. Yet God gives him and Peter a vision that ultimately allows him to hear the good news and be saved. And this just, it reminds me that God knows and cares about the unreached. In fact, there isn't anyone who wants him to be saved more than God out there. You know, 1 Timothy 2.4 speaks to that. So this, this should be a great source of hope for us. God is seeking to save people and he's finding a way all over the world. I believe that. And we can trust him with that. But just like the story of Cornelius, this will involve people obeying the call to go and share the good news. So you mentioned earlier that this issue has significant implications on missions efforts. Can you expound on this? Well, in many ways, our answer to this question guides whether or not we would want to bring the gospel to the unreached at all. For example, if those who have never heard somehow automatically go to heaven— then the worst thing we could possibly do is bring the good news to the unreached because it would then bring the possibility of condemnation. So if that's the case, we need to shut down this podcast right now, Amy, and stop mobilizing people to the nations uh, because this would be doing something extremely unloving. Or at the very least, send people overseas to tell unreached people, hey, if anyone ever comes here and says they want to tell you about Jesus, run the other way as fast as you can. Well, of course, we know this isn't true because Jesus himself commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. If we embrace the reality that the unreached stand condemned for their sins before the Lord, then I think it would radically transform how the church operates. So tell us more of what you mean by that. How should we view missions differently in light of what you've shared? I think we need to first just stop and let the implications of what we're talking about sink in a bit. If we really embrace the truth of the scriptures— and the internal reality of what happens to those who don't accept Christ as Savior, the idea of unreached peoples should be intolerable to us. I mean, it would be completely unacceptable to us, I think, if we really embraced what the Scripture is telling us. We'd bring everything we could to bear to try to end this great tragedy. We'd pray. We'd leverage any resources we have. We would go to share with those who haven't heard, you know, comfortable, let me just worry about myself, Christianity wouldn't be an option. What is keeping the gospel from going to the unreached is not an issue of lacking the resources to do it, in my opinion. I think the main issue has to do with our priorities, our focus, and our vision. I have to believe that the reason why some some are so indifferent 
or even that some push back when we talk about the gospel going to the nations, is because they've never fully thought through the eternal implications of indifference. Yeah. Now, we've talked about some topics that are fairly heavy. Let me see if I can summarize uh, to help us get our hearts and our minds around this. We must address the question of what happens to those who never had a chance to hear the good news about Jesus, because the answer has massive implications for missions efforts. The Bible, however, is clear. All people, whether they've heard the gospel or not, stand condemned before God because they've willfully chosen sin and rebellion. But God's provided a solution, and that is salvation from our sin through faith in Jesus. And all of the niceness and trying hard on the part of those who haven't heard, well, it will never be enough without Jesus. He's provided the way to be made right. And he's given the task of taking the message of salvation to his church. So if we're honest about the situation, it means we must ask ourselves and think about whether we give the good news the priority and the weight that it's due, letting that burn through our indifference and direct our lives. So in closing, what would you say to someone who's wrestling with the weight of all this? Because it is weighty. And I think we can agree that it's a question that must be faced. If you're listening, whether you think we're out in left field here, or maybe you're unsure, uh, I implore you to look at the scriptures. Look back at the ones we've discussed. Ask God for clarity. Open your heart to what he might want to show you. Then ask God how he might want you to respond. We'll be praying with you. We'll see you next time.